What is the last thing that you think about when you think about Scripture? Could it be a ghost story? Stay tuned, and we'll talk more about that on Table Talk, the Covenant Podcast. Okay, thanks for joining us today. Uh, my name is Sean Shirley. Uh, my usual cohort, uh, Kyle Gatlin, is not with us today, but I do have our Director of Student Ministries, Mr. Nick Shepard, here today as a co-host. So I want to say hello, Nick. Hey, guys. How's it going? And so with the lead-in line, we have uh, hopefully we got you hooked a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit today about a story in the book of Samuel, and we're going to talk about Saul and how Saul was disobedient and how God kind of turned, he basically cut off communication with Saul. And at that point, we see Saul taking some pretty extreme measures to try to find out exactly what to do next. So Nick, talk to us a little bit about that. Hey man, so I love the story of Saul. Um, One of my favorite things in any kind of literature are foil characters. And very obviously, if you read the book of First Samuel, Second Samuel, which were originally one book, by the way, um, Saul is definitely this precursor to David. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we focus a lot on these are the good examples in Scripture: um, Abraham, David, Paul, Peter. But we miss the fact that hey, they're bad examples of stuff you should not do. And Saul's a really good example of that. Um, so just kind of give you a run through of kind of his story. So if you go back to first Samuel, I think it's starting in chapter eight through chapter 12, you have the story of Saul becoming King. And what happens is, um, God was ruling the people directly. Like God says a thing, they do it. And Israel wasn't doing great with that. That's the story of the book of judges. They just keep on going through the cycle of doing stupid thing God having to discipline them for it back up to the top of the cycle of God saying, all right, we're good. And then they do the stupid thing. Um, That's how we get Samuel, the guy. Well, what's happening is that the people come to Samuel and they say, hey, this whole God being king thing, it's not really working. Can we have a king like the other nations? That's a problem. Because it's a little insulting to the guy actually in charge, God. So um, God says, hey, let them do it. They can pick their own guy, or I'm sorry, I'll show them who it is. And it winds up being this guy named Saul, who's, the Bible talks about his physical appearance. Mm -hmm. This is a pretty man. He's handsome. He's taller than everybody else. Um, But the second you get to 1 Samuel 13, and he's actually making decisions, he's making stupid decisions. So 1 Samuel 13, there's this big battle and um, he's supposed to wait for Samuel to come and make this sacrifice so God will bless the battle. But he says, I don't really have time to do this like I'm supposed to. So what if I just do the sacrifice myself and it'll be good? It wasn't good. Um, first Samuel 14, he makes a dumb decision where he almost gets his own son killed. First Samuel 15, and this is the, the real issue. Uh, God says, hey, you're going to fight these people called the Amalekites. Don't take their stuff. That's mine, not yours. Saul takes the stuff anyways. And that's the moment where God tells Samuel, hey, dude. God didn't say, hey, dude, but hey, Saul's not working out. 
I'm going to send you to go anoint the new king. And it's this nobody hick shepherd boy named David. But if you look at Saul's story, don't get lost with David there. Saul is still important in the narrative. He just kind of is on this spiral of I'm jealous of David. So I'm going to try to kill him. Um, even though David spares his life like two or three times. And it leads us to first Samuel 28 where Samuel dies. Mm-hmm. Samuel's gone. And so Saul doesn't have that good voice speaking into his life. And if you look at verse six, what he says is, or what the scriptures say is Saul prays. He doesn't get an answer. And it's in the same verse. He wheels around to his advisors and they basically agree. We're going to go find a witch. It's the logical next step, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, Oh God didn't answer my prayer at that exact moment. We need a medium. Like that's insane. Right. And so the idea of a medium as someone who channels dead people, this is obviously not a new concept. Like there's reality shows where people do this for money on camera, but we're back millennia ago. People doing this same thing. Um, so Saul goes under the cover of night. You found that interesting. But. Very interesting. That and yes, and so when when we were talking a little bit beforehand and we were saying that, you know, the, the big thing to me about dealing with this problem, which is an which is a problem of the occult, then everything seems to be so secret. You have these secret societies and all this stuff. And so when you see Saul, you know, searching for an answer. He really just, I mean, if you cut down, if you cut and cut down to the meat of the problem, Saul is just looking for an answer, but it's how he goes about it. And rather than being obedient to God, he immediately says, hey, I'm going to wear a disguise. I'm going to go under the cover of darkness and we are going to go and try to find this answer on our own since God's not talking. Breaking his own law. His own law. Like he said it at one point, which is should be put to death. He's echoing the Torah, which is that's the first uh, first five books of the Bible. If you're unfamiliar, um, where God says, "Hey, nah, don't do that," and so he's doing the super hypocritical thing because he's so freaked out that God's not going to answer him. And I this thing is so interesting. Like you said, he goes under the cover of darkness because he knows what he's doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's still that temptation there that, you know, you look and you see how this all, you know, spills from Genesis chapter three, where we see the fall happen in the garden. And you see that, you know, you see this deception where Satan and his adversaries, you see uh, evil promising something you know, that that could, uh, you know, eat this and you'll be, you know, do something that's outside of what God has planned and you'll be like him. You'll get more. And and it's just so it's so clear to see in this in this passage and in the story that, uh, you know, Saul did not give this a whole lot of thought. Nope. At least not in this moment. But this is this this was something that he immediately turned to. And, you know, we were discussing earlier before we before we went live that, you know, it wasn't even that like his his advisor said, oh, Saul, we can't do that because, you know, witchcraft is illegal. 
and we've rid the land of all those people. No, they didn't even have to look very far. They're like, all right, come on, come on. We know where one is. We'll take your right to her. And so that's exactly what happened. And so there is that just kind of unveils a little bit more evil that's beneath the surface there. Exactly. And not, and again, this is not Saul's first Breaking Bad moment. This right. is not Breaking Bad season one. This is season six or seven. That's right. Whichever one's the last one. I don't know. But this is his big. This is the big thing. Because mm-hmm. um, if you go down and let's continue telling the story, he goes to the witch. Some, uh, I think the ESV calls her a medium. Same thing. And says, hey, summon Samuel. He's trying to summon the guy who's probably going to tell him, hey, you're a moron, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is just not well thought through, I think, as he pointed out. And she does it, and Samuel pops up. We'll come back to that in a second. Um, But it's Samuel. And he's there, and he tells Saul, this is the step too far. You have been shown grace on so many occasions. Um, You've lost the kingship. You've lost everything. But this is just too far you're going to be dead and your son's going to be dead by the time the sun sets tomorrow. And that's really the, one of the things that brought this story to our attention is, Hey, that's a ghost, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like that man's dead. So what do we do with that? Um, You saw some stuff on the internet, people arguing that this is, this is demonic. I personally hold to the view that this is Samuel, but, He's not there because the witch summoned him. It's because God sent him to send one last message. If you have any thoughts about that, oh, that's not possible. I'll point out that in the transfiguration in the book of Matthew, when Jesus is on the mountain showing his disciples his glory, Moses and Elijah show up there. So this is not without precedent, this idea of God using somebody from beyond death to um, do something for his own glory. It's one viewpoint among many, but I'd also argue that one of the reasons this is Samuel is because what he says is going to happen is what happens. And I think it's also notable that there was really no new information from the original request of everything that Saul was looking for. What he got was, hey, you've gone too far, man. You've gone too far, and now you're, and now you're going to die. He doesn't get what he wants. He doesn't get what he wants. Which which leads me, I think, to what um, I would think is the main thing to say about occult things. Now, th- there's a large umbrella here from, again, Ouija boards and tarot cards all the way up to devil went down to Georgia, dueling the devil for your soul on a crossroads, right? Like, whatever it is. And I think the real lesson today boils down to, hey, this whole occult stuff, just don't fool with it. Right. For a lot of reasons. Because I don't believe in ghosts, but I'm told to teach the full counsel of God and the scriptures talk about demonic influence. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like to talk about it, but Well, what I was gonna say is, you know, you it seems to me, just from observation, that you know, the the evil spirits, they thrive on two trains of thought. One being evil doesn't exist. I mean, you know, hey, yeah. evil evil doesn't exist. That's an open invite right there. And the other is that you have someone who believes that evil exists in the spiritual realm. And not only do you believe it, but you become fascinated and try to insert yourself in research and everything else to find out all about this. And then and then you're you're in over your head before you know it. 
Exactly. Because the reality is no matter what you think you're going to get out of any kind of bargain, interaction, whatever, you are insignificant as a human being when it comes to the spiritual realm. You're, you're not important. You're important to God, which makes you important. Right. You're a child of God, which makes you important. But notice how that's transference from God's important to your own. You yes. are not this big, powerful thing. Um, I'm thinking about comic book characters, Constantine, or if you're into that kind of realm of fandom. But there, it's we're fascinated with this idea of people taming this other spiritual world. Right. Because they have the power. Because they can say, oh, I get to say what goes. And it goes back to Genesis 3. It's people trying to bargain for greater power, greater whatever, trying to be God, and it just doesn't work. So this this whole premise, you know, you could sum it up to say that practices like this belittle God. Absolutely. And exalt man. Mm-hmm. And so the question would be then, is that is that is that how we want to live? Do we want to live our lives exalting ourselves and belittling God, or do we want to humble ourselves and exalt God? And, you know, and, and specifically with the example that we've been talking about today with Saul, here's a question for you. Are you content with whatever revelation God has shown to you? about your life, about anything. Is it enough? Do you ever feel like, well, God's God's holding out on me and I need to find another way to get this information? And, you know, Job ran into that. And, yep. you know, and the bottom line is, you know, that, that if we believe that God is, you know, that God loves us, that God is here to guide us, to lead us, and to bring no harm to us, then we have to believe that the information that we have from him is enough for us to advance. Yes, It may not be the complete picture, and we may not get the complete picture until we're a little further down the road, but we always have enough information to advance, to take a step. We always have that information. and But when you start sneaking around and try to find more information than, you know, honestly, it, it comes down to, so God is either refusing to answer me or God lacks the ability. God cannot do for me what I am. He cannot give me the answer that I want. So I'll send a half-hearted request knowing that it's going to be, that I'm going to get silence. Or I'm going to get a no, but then I'm going to do, I'm just like a child going to the parent where they know they can get the right answer, the answer they're looking for. I'm going to go find somewhere else who will tell me what I want to hear. And every time trouble ensues, every time. And don't miss that. Your two alternatives there, one where God doesn't know and can't tell me, or he's choosing not to, going around that belittles God's character. Absolutely. So don't miss this, right? God, okay, God's not telling me for some reason. Well, do you have the faith to say that I don't need to know that then? Because because God is more intelligent than you are. Yeah. yeah. Or, oh, he can't tell me. That's also belittling his ability to know what's best, and you're subverting it in both cases. Right. And that's demeaning, literally going by the word, what that word means, demeaning to God. Yep. As the king of all creation. That's, that's the right. whole thing, Right. 
Um, it, you know, your, your question earlier of is what God has given you enough brings to mind this example, um, that I think is fascinating of, you may be familiar with the, the mega church Bethel out in California. Yes. Um, so one of the things they got in hot water for is, uh, they were affiliated with this company that Bethel was affiliated with this company that would go to new age Wicca witchcraft kind of gatherings and use these modified tarot decks um, with like Christian imagery on them to tell the story of the gospel and kind of sneak in. First things first, I love first Corinthians when Paul says I've become all things to all men so that I may help some come to Christ. Right. I don't think that's an exact quote. I'm sorry for that. But the thing still stands of get with people where they're at and love them. But that's a different situation. And mm-hmm. if you actually read Bethel's press release, um, what they say, is, and it just kind of seeing the response to all of it, the issue boils down to, does mixing the gospel, does cutting the gospel with other influences cheapen the gospel? I'd say it does. Absolutely, it does. I'd say that saying that, oh, I have to use this occult thing as an avenue for the gospel, I think that ignores the fact that the gospel is meant to stand on its own. C.S. Lewis Jesus is not this, I forget what he calls it, but he's not this little weak animal. He's a lion. Right. Let him out of his cage. Mm-hmm. It may have been Spurgeon, not Lewis. Whatever. The point stands, the gospel given to us, the word of God given to us, is already enough to go to all these different people and tell a relatable message of God's love in your human struggle. Yes. You don't need to cut it with these other influences where you're getting distracted from the point. Right. That's just my opinion on that. I'm sure there are others. Well, I think it's Paul's opinion too. And uh, yeah. Romans 12 too, where he says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think that pretty much spells it out right there. And while you, while that may seem like a tightrope where you're walking on where one side is, oh, I'm compromising too much. And once in one side says, well, I'm not compromising enough to be relevant and faithful. I don't. I think it's quite clear that the point is preach Christ crucified. He's enough. Let right. him be enough. And that's my issue with the Bethel thing, because again, it's this idea of a simple presentation of the gospel communicated in love through relationships made isn't enough, and so we have to do all these newfangled methods, yeah, right? That's right. It's just dangerous. Um, and I think the the danger there is that the occults is meant to distract. Yes. Again, we said this earlier. I don't believe in ghosts, but I believe in demons who like playing tricks on us because they have nothing else to do besides burn in hell for all eternity at the end of all things. Right. Right. I, nothing is worse than somebody who is bored yeah. because they're going to find stuff to do. That's right. And that's exactly what it's good for is the passing of time in a very mind numbing way. Exactly. And obviously this transfers to other conversations as well of how do we deal with our entertainment or how do we deal with these other things? I'd argue this is more important. This, right. Oh, let's draw this line up. I'm not going to open myself up to demonic influence because what does that demonic influence have? What interest does that thing have in your favor? Right. None. Nothing at all. So run away. That's right. Uh, one of the Peters, Peter shares, your adversary is prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Mm-hmm. Run away. Run away. 
That's right. Lauren and I um, had the opportunity to go down to the Animal Kingdom Park at Disney Life this past week, and we saw some lions. I don't want to get in a fist fight with a lion. Right. I'm running away. Yep. Yep. That's that's exactly right. And and you know, and in closing, I we we have said, I don't know if we've said it actually on this podcast because we were talking so much before, but you know, the don't lose in this story that the focus is not the ghost or spirit of Samuel. That's exactly. not that's not the point. That's not the point at all. There is always something to be taken from this as far as, you know, in this particular instance, um, you know, as Nick mentioned before, there was, you know, don't be as everyone else has been with Saul, you know, be distinguished. But in this particular instance, you know, be content with what God has revealed to you because it's enough. Exactly. It's enough. Whether you think so in the moment or not, it's enough. It's always enough. And I think the other thing to tack on to that, too, is this idea that if you don't have the wisdom that you need for a particular situation, James 1 tells us, hey, if you like wisdom, ask our generous God who gives without giving you a hard time about it. That's right. It's James 1, thing verse 5 and 6, I think. But then it goes on to say, but be faithful to what he's told you to do. Don't be mm-hmm. double-minded. That's right. Um, Saul knew what he was supposed to do. Sure he did. The question wasn't Saul's prayer. He didn't want God to tell him what God wanted him to do. Mm-hmm. He wanted to hear what he wanted to hear from a God who's not really interested in human agendas. Right. Right. Because God's agenda, if you read the storyline of the Old Testament, I would argue, is to have Israel up as this city on a hill, as this nation on a hill, meant to shine to the nation and say, hey, this is what life looks like with God. Mm-hmm. That's why it's not just about bloodlines and Jewish ethnicity. You have people who come, like Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, who is an Israelite, mm-hmm. but not ethic ethnically. Right. But he comes and he joins, and you have this story in so many places. I'm thinking about Rahab. Um, I'm thinking about Ruth. These people who come in and say, oh, God is faithful. I want to be a part of that. And Saul's supposed to be the spearhead of that. Yes. Saul is supposed to be leading the nation showing the people this is what life being faithful to God looks like. And that's why, verse Samuel 15, not obeying God, it disqualifies him from leadership. And that's ultimately the issue here. That is. Oh, you're called to live separate, live holy, live as an example for others so they can come and have the blessing of living with God as well. Well, how much more important that is that for us now when we're holding out to people not just blessing, but eternal life. Right. Living in Christ with the Holy Spirit, bringing the gospel out in power, hopefully. Um, why would we ever cut the gospel with something less significant when we can just tell people, Jesus loves you? Right. Simple as that. It's simple. Simple as that. So as we uh as we go today, I just wanna I just wanna say that probably the Probably the biggest thing we can take from today is that a God-filled life is a life full of dependence on God. Absolutely. It is not about your control. It is about who is in control. And so if you want to live a God-filled life, then, you know, you need to start being less independent and more dependent 
on him. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks for being with us today. This was fun. Um, Absolutely. We have throngs and throngs of listeners out there. I think there's 10 or 11 of them. Um, (laughs) So our main goal is just to, you know, each week we want to wind up on an even number. So maybe this week we'll get number 12. But uh, this podcast drops every Thursday morning at 4 a.m. So for your commute into work, and if you're out on 84, you got plenty of time to listen to the whole thing. And also on Monday mornings, it's or at some point during the day Monday, we will drop a podcast that will be the sermon from this past Sunday. So we hope that you'll join us again next week. Thanks for being here.